Welcome to The Axe Change, the official podcast of the Fred C. Manning School of Business at Acadia University, Wolfville, Nova Scotia. Acadia University is a member of the Maple League of Universities, an association of premier, primarily undergraduate universities that consistently rank highest for educational quality in Canada. The School of Business at Acadia University is named after Fred C. Manning, the first person in Canada to receive the honour of having a business school named after him. To learn more about Acadia University and the business school, please visit acadiau.ca and business.acadiau.ca. And now, on to the podcast. Good morning, everyone. My name is Evan Shergold, a senior student here at the FC Manning School of Business. Today, I am both honored and excited to have the distinct pleasure of speaking with Laura Mason Hode. Laura is a highly experienced business professional currently working for LinkedIn Learning Solutions. Laura has also worked in both customer and relationship management and as an account executive for reputable companies including IBM and Anglo Software. She is an absolute guru when it comes to developing talent, building high-performing teams, and connecting people to employment opportunities. Laura also happens to be an Acadia alumnus and member of the 2008 graduating class of the FC Manning School of Business. Without further ado, I would like to welcome Laura Mason Hode to the show today. Thank you very much for joining us, Laura. Thanks so much, Evan. I feel like I'm blushing over here. <laughs> very lovely intro. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. So, Pleasure uh, to be here. <laughs> Uh, just to get started, um, we did say uh, in the introduction that you're an Acadia alumni from the class of 2008, mm-hmm. um, and you've obviously led quite a successful career since then. Uh, so just to start off, um, I'd like to ask you, uh, tell me a little bit about your experiences at Acadia, uh, maybe some of the programs and activities you were involved in, or some of your own interests. Sure. So yes, I am from the class of 2008. I uh, started in psychology when I uh, started at Acadia, and the reason I did that is I wanted to get an understanding of broad brush, like what were the courses that uh, I might be interested in in pursuit of like an ultimate career. When I joined here, I actually thought that I might go into musical theater. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I knew in the past someone had told me, um, you need to think about do you want to work with people or things? She had pursued a uh, degree in uh, geology and realized that she hated really like working with rocks and wanted to work with people. And I remember that moment. And so psych was a way that I could think about working with people. But in that process, I took Tom Patillo's business foundations course and I absolutely fell in love with business. So I switched over to the business program, did uh, some summer school to catch up because I had been in psych for the first year and then spent the following three years in business with a specialization in marketing. Um, and it was all in pursuit of thinking about like how can I work with people uh, for, for the rest of my career. In terms of uh, Acadia, I loved it. I lived in Tower. I absolutely... Is Tower still... Yep. Yeah, okay. Definitely. Wow. Okay, amazing. <laughs> um, so I lived in Tower, met my best friends uh, that were in my wedding party uh, from from uh, Tower. Loved the Acadia spirit. In terms of uh, activities, I would say business society for sure. Uh, participated in lots of like yoga here and uh, might have had a... Uh, sociable or two at the X. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank <laughs> I you. I assume still in, in play now. Yeah, it yeah. is, actually. We just had a renovation <laughs> recently, so it's better Very than cool. ever, actually. <laughs> Love it. Um, so I'm starting to get an idea that you uh, kind of wanted to be working with people. So you would say that that was probably one of the bigger reasons you decided to focus your degree in marketing? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. Okay, so um, after graduating from Acadia, um, I kind of did a little scan of your profile on LinkedIn. Very uh, good. And I found that you uh, began working for a very large company uh, as a client manager with IBM. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, that experience? Sure. So when I was evaluating where I wanted to go after Acadia, um, I took advice from my dad, which was really you want to work at a company that's going to invest in you and that's going to have the resources and training to help you to develop. Because when you're first out of school, that's, that's really what you want. Um, and so for me, I was interested in at the time IBM and Xerox had some of the world's best training programs. And I was fortunate to get an offer at both. But when I walked into IBM, I just had this gut feel that it was the right place for me. Mm. Uh, I was really connected to their vision, how they were helping to make the world smarter. Uh, And they also had an incredible sales training program, which was called IBM Global Sales School. So I moved to Toronto after, I'm from Halifax, I moved to Toronto after Acadia to work at IBM. I was part of this new hire program that had 10 folks just like me who had graduated in the last year Mm -hmm. and we were called the Falcons and we were basically in school at IBM. So we did mock calls, we did sales trainings for about four months, which was an exceptional introduction to sales. I met uh, my roommate there. I met uh, one of my best friends that sang at my wedding there. I met my husband (laughs) there. So um, IBM fundamentally changed my life. When I left IBM, it was because, have you heard of the concept of like tour of duty? It's it's more of a military term, but at LinkedIn, we refer to tour of duty knowing that you're not going to be at one, likely you're not going to be at one company forever and the expectation is not. So how can you make sure that when you're entering into that company, that role, that you're gonna fundamentally like change and transform like your career trajectory mm-hmm. and then move on to something when you're looking for something else. Uh, and so I appreciated all the structure and the training that I had at IBM, but I wanted to see what was it like to work at a smaller company. So that's when I joined Angos, which was headquartered in Toronto, and then moved to LinkedIn after that. Um, to help to, first of all, it was all about transforming the world of sales. And so like, as we get into the sales conversation, that, right. that's probably like personally relevant to you. And then now um, I'm leading our LinkedIn learning business for Canada. Right, LinkedIn learning solutions. That's awesome. So um, I guess you kind of answered one of my next questions, which was um, kind of what the pros and cons of working for a larger organization as the foundation of your career. I guess the training was one of the bigger parts of that, obviously, for you. Um, So how do you think your career might have been a little bit different if you may have started uh, in a smaller company, like you're saying, uh, in a startup, perhaps? 
Yeah, for me, I I personally was interested in starting a larger company and then working into a smaller organization. I think one of the benefits of working at a small company, though, is that you're wearing multiple hats. So sometimes in a big company, it's hard to see the like is the phrase trees through the forest, forest through trees. Like you can only see your role without seeing like the greater impact. And so I think at a small company, it's much easier to do that. But it's also you're wearing so many hats that it's hard to become an expert. So I want to become an expert at sales and then move and do that in in other ways. Right. So um, you said that you did uh, move from IBM to Angos Software. Mm -hmm. Sorry if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, And then after that, you've ended up and you've been at LinkedIn for the past six years or so. Yes. Um, So what's it been like in your experience so far working for such a modern company um, the last six years? I love LinkedIn. I started six years ago, almost to the date, February 25th, and the bubble hasn't burst. So I joined as a small business account executive in our sales solutions group. I did that for a year and then moved into working with our mid-market clients and then moved into working with our enterprise existing clients, and then last, uh, then started leading a team that was doing our sales development, uh, and then now in our learning business. And what I love about LinkedIn is a couple of things. One is ultimately our vision, which is to be able to create economic opportunity for every member of the global workforce so that all of our businesses, everything that we're doing um, is in pursuit of that vision, which I find is just like, you know, it gets me here. Mm-hmm. Second thing I would say is the culture. Some organizations, and I, I, I would say I didn't totally understand this in, in university, so I'd encourage as you go through like internships or informational interviews, really like dig into the culture. Uh, but, but I had, some organizations have their cultures and values and they might have it on like a poster on the wall or you know, back in the day on a most pad or t-shirts or whatever, but LinkedIn is all about its culture. It's Mm -hmm. celebrated in every type of award that we do. We hire for it. We promote for it. it is all about the culture. And then I would say the last thing is the people. The hiring is incredible. My team that I lead inspires me every day. Um, Every person is there to help to support each other, to bring like your whole person to, to work. Um, and to help everybody to demand excellence and just be better. So I'd say, um, yeah, I mean, I love, I love LinkedIn. It's, and, and also like the idea of transformation. So I've been very fortunate to have gone through um, a bunch of career transformations over the past six, six years um, with, with more to come. So been very That's fortunate. awesome. It's actually really inspiring to hear somebody talk about not only are they really good at what they do, but they actually love what they're doing. So that's definitely inspiring from a, from a student's perspective. And I think that's the key is if you love what you do, it doesn't feel like work. Of course, there's going to be tough days, but at ultimately, if you love what you're doing, you want to spend time doing it. It like gives you energy. It lights you up. It inspires you. And people can feel that. There's like energy transfer. Mm. So um, definitely, it, it, culture is important. People are important. But definitely, you got to love what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, do you by any chance have an office at LinkedIn? So, <laughs> yeah. So do you mean an 
do we go into an office or do I have an office like we're sitting in? Yeah, like an office like we're sitting, like your own oh, office. Oh, no. No? No. So uh, at LinkedIn, we do have an office. So it, I mean, obviously we have offices across the world, but in, right. in uh, the Canadian office is in Toronto and it's all open concept. So okay. I sit right beside uh, my team and, and all of us will like jump on customer calls together or we'll like jump into coaching sessions together. There are um, rooms that are about two by two. They're called phone booths that mm-hmm. you can hop in if you want to have a, we do a lot of conferences through video conference. Okay. So you can like hop in and do that um, if you need to. There's also all of our rooms that people would book out to do like group uh, video conferences or meetings, we have those as well, but no actual physical office. Right. No, that's that's kind of a trend that we're seeing nowadays uh, is is the change from offices into more open concepts because uh, they say that it is to uh, be conducive to creativity and design 100%. thinking and all that. We actually have, I don't know if you've been to the top floor of Patterson, but we have the Launchbox. Oh, I have, oh I'd, lo- I'd love to see it. Center. I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's to. great. It's open concept. Sounds like uh, kind of like what you're talking about. Um, And it's really helpful when you're thinking about learning because sometimes it's scary to have a sales call in front of your peers. But if everybody's doing it, then what you do is you say, hey, that was amazing how you were able to talk through that. Or here's a suggestion of how to do this differently next time. And so it just really helps people, to your point, be creative, but collaborate, learn from one another. And it's also a lot of fun. You know, yeah. if you like, if you get energy from being around people, it's nice to be around people versus in a an office, very like, you know, siloed and away from cubicle other, style, yeah. stuffy. Yeah, I totally get what you mean. Um, Sometimes there's like a football thrown across the office. <laughs> you know, that sounds fun. Yeah, scooters. definitely. <laughs> scooters. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so I guess uh, moving from the the having an office question and kind of what that looks like, um, being at a company like LinkedIn, it is very modern and we are moving to a way more digital economy. Um, I'm curious as to how much of your work is done maybe virtually or from a distance? So I lead our sales team. So my work in terms of working with them is all done in person. So we do have an in-office culture, if you will. So majority of the time uh, reps will be in the office and we'll be working together. That said, my counterparts, the team that I'm on, like my leader is in New York. I have counterparts in Chicago, San Francisco, and New York. And so with them, we're video conferencing every single day. My reps, they support uh, customers and clients that are in across all of North America. And so we'll do a mix of going into uh, into their offices and they're in Toronto or will travel if there's an event. The majority of what they'll do is through video conference with their customers. Okay, very cool. Um, well, before this interview, Laura, um, it was kind of hard not to take a look at your LinkedIn profile given the context of our conversation today. Uh, and I just kind of did that to get a glimpse of your own career journey. Um, as I scroll through, it was really hard not to notice all of the amazing recommendations that you've received. Descriptions that I saw included being ridiculously efficient, having infectious positivity, and having a tenacious work ethic and attention to detail. Clearly, you are very highly respected within your industry. Uh, Do you mind telling us some of your regular practices that allow you to maintain your high performance, your productivity, as well as your overall positivity? Sure. So I would say, first of all, is loving what you do. I, I think I get energy from 
what we're working on at LinkedIn. I get energy from my team. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, like I'm a very positive person. I love bringing positive energy to whatever it is that we're doing. Other things that I do personally, uh, I do a lot of yoga. So I find that helps to keep a balance. One of the things that we talk about is this idea of there's not like work and personal or like life balance, but rather integration, work-life integration. And so I oftentimes will wake up in the morning, I'll do yoga for half an hour, I'll then like check my emails and have my coffee, walk into work with my husband, uh, spend time with my team, go for like walking one-on-ones with them. But that like integration of adding like yoga and not just having your day start and end at nine to five, but rather having your life as part of that really helps me to bring that like best person to work. I think the other thing that really helps to be th- the best version of myself is incur- is working somewhere where it really is encouraged to bring your whole self. So whether that is people, we have employee resource groups for like our black, black inclusion group or women at LinkedIn, it's International Women's Day today. So if I was there, we would have been doing a, uh, a speaker series and there was actually a yoga session for balance. Um, doing in days, which is where you spend one day every month investing. It's called investment day, invest in yourself or community. So doing things that enable me to light up, help others, um, bring my whole person to work helps me to be the the best version of myself and, and productive. Well, that's awesome. It's clear that a routine as well as, like you said, integrating your work life opposed to approaching it with the balance mentality is the key to uh, to the productivity and positivity side of it. So moving off of that, what would you say is your strongest skill as a professional? I know that's a challenging question. I'd say positivity or high inspiration index. That helps to inspire a team. It helps to inspire clients to think about how can they do things differently as it relates to their talent development. Uh, It helps when an employee might be having a tough day or um, to to let them see that it's going to be, they're going to do awesome things. Mm -hmm. So I would say probably inspiration is my top. Definitely. Yeah. And that makes sense. Um, I took a class here at uh, Acadia's business program uh, with Charlene Boudreau. Um, we spoke about this before the interview. Uh, it was called Personal Selling and Sales Management. One of the biggest takeaways that I had from that class was uh, the idea of trust-based selling opposed to what we used to do, which is kind of focused on the transaction or totally. closing the deal. Um, what are some of your kind of go-to practices or maybe special tricks that you use on a regular basis to establish those strong, trusting relationships with clients? Great question. So, I definitely agree with you. Um, one of the, it, just before answering your question, a little bit of a, a, a segue. The world of sales, people still think of that icky transactional sale that benefits the seller, but not the the partner and the, the buyer. And so really making sure that like every single thing that you're doing is in pursuit of helping this to be an incredible experience for the buyer. It's all about the person that you're working with to help them to transform their life, their employees' lives, their company, and making sure that it is always in their best interest. And I think having that framing helps to build credibility and trust. 
ultimately there's other things that you can do like even from the very get-go for if i think about uh, from a linkedin perspective one is having a profile that re- that reflects your professional brand don't talk about how you crush your number and how your quota you know crosser but rather talk about how do you help your your clients to crush their goals how do you help them to be more successful so you can start just by having a brand that speaks to the value that you're giving as a as a sales professional as, and as a partner The second thing you can do is leverage your connections. So don't reach out and do like a cold call. Those don't work. Nobody wants to receive a call. In fact, like a lot of people will just either not answer or they don't listen to voicemails anymore. Leverage a warm relationship. So look to see who in your network is connected to that client or that organization that you're looking to get in front of. Referrals are the number one way into an organization from a selling perspective, also as you're looking for for jobs as well. So ask for a referral and then go in warmly, have an introduction from someone that they respect and they know, and that's already putting you in in a place of trust. And then lastly is really lead with insights. So help people to understand what are their peers doing? What are others in their industry doing? How, what is it that you're talking about? So you can help their business to be stronger and better um, through leveraging insights. And then lastly, I would say is like follow through. Do what you say you're going to do. If you say you're going to follow up that day, follow up that day. Because trust is effectively your consistency over time and building relationships over time. So you want to make sure that if you said you're going to do something, that you actually follow through and do that. That was an amazing answer. Um, I uh, really like that because being in marketing, I find uh, at least my biggest uh, takeaway from the program is that everything is a brand. And Mm -hmm. we we especially are kind of the deciders of our own brand or who we are going to be a representative of. Uh, So that's really interesting. And it kind of draws into one of my next questions about LinkedIn, because LinkedIn is all about, like you're saying, a professional brand. Uh, And it's kind of Moving off of the idea of uh, a student's perspective, so um, how I can kind of benefit my own uh, LinkedIn profile. So if somebody like me were Mm -hmm. going to run an information session for students uh, that offers them on advice on how they could best differentiate their own LinkedIn profiles or make themselves seem more competitive uh, on on that interface, uh, what would you tell me to focus on? Good news. (laughs) There'll be one this afternoon. (laughs) You can leverage that deck. Uh, Okay, I would say a couple of things. The first is the importance of having a a profile photo. Second is your headline. Third is your summary experience. Fourth would be your education and your skills. And then last would be your recommendations. So from a profile photo perspective, uh, people that have professional photos are viewed 21 times more frequently than those that don't. So make sure, and this doesn't have to be taken by a professional the new iphone has a wonderful portrait mode totally okay (laughs) but make sure that it showcases you in the light that you would want potential recruiters or um, clients however you're using linkedin or your network to perceive you and so sometimes people will say well should i wear a suit or what should i wear and i would say it totally depends on you i don't have a suit on mine because that doesn't really match I guess my personality, but also my, my organization, um, and the, and the clients that we're working with. But if you're working at a bank, then that might make more sense. Or if you're selling to financial services, because it's, it's a more formal industry. So just be thoughtful about, about that. 
and you know don't take don't crop it from I see a lot of these like party photos or like wedding photos where uh, you'll see someone's like tux is like half cut off so make sure it's a photo of you blurred background headshot it's important Second would be your headline, which is the little part right below your photo. Mm -hmm. This, we, we've done a lot of heat map studies and found that this is the first place people look when they open up your profile. And so you want that to almost think of that as like a headline in a newspaper. You want it to be interesting enough and compelling enough that they'll check out the rest of the article or in this situation, your profile. So for students, it could be something that you're passionate about, what you're looking for a career in, what are you great at, but you want it to be really punchy and, and about you. So mine says something to the effect of uh, Canadian LinkedIn Learning Sales Leader helping to transform people and organizations through the power of learning. Next would be, is this too much detail? No, 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 please, okay. this is, yeah, this is great. Cool, so next would be your summary. And your summary doesn't have to be super lengthy, but you do want to write it about yourself, do it in story format. Don't write it in first person, i.e. like Evan was excellent at, but mm. rather write it as if you're talking about yourself. And the elements that you'd want in there would really be who you are, what are you doing now, What's your background and what are you passionate about? And then some type of call to action. And it's important to put different keywords in there that you would want people to potentially find you for. So if right now you're thinking about graduating in the next couple of months and looking for a role and you're interested in sales, then make sure you have sales in there, business development, customer service, consultative, all those different types of keywords. So when recruiters are putting those into search terms, they're going to find you. Then, pardon me, moving into your experience, Sometimes as a student, that's tough because you're thinking, how much do I want to put in about maybe uh, my TA job or working in the business society or at the Axe, whatever the case may be. But really what you want to do is put any relevant experience. This afternoon, I have some examples of if you've done this, here's transferable skills to articulate that. But think about like what are the transferable skills that you can put on your profile as a result of that experience. Also include volunteer experience. Recruiters care about that almost as much as actual work experience. Um, Moving after your experience would be your education. So highlight Acadia, highlight the different programs and clubs that you're a part of, different projects that you worked on. You can add rich media to your profile if there's different PowerPoints that you wanted to share or presentations that you were proud of. You can put that right on your profile so people can check it out or videos. And then lastly is skills. So part of the group that I'm uh, a part of, LinkedIn Learning, as you complete a course, you can put that uh, skill right on your profile as well as the courses that you've completed which helps to show this very like well-rounded expertise that you have you can also ask for recommendations which is what you were referencing but those could be really it's one thing for you to say you're great at those different areas it's another thing for your employer or a peer or a friend or a um anybody like a professor to be able to share this is what you're excellent and at and then it's on your profile other people can read it and that's amazing so I'd say those are a couple of the tips and tricks 
I would recommend to have a, a great profile. Right. That's amazing. I imagine all the listeners are going to be writing these notes down to make awesome. sure that their LinkedIn <laughs> profiles are at their Very optimal uh, potential. You're listening to The Axe Change, the official podcast of the Fred C. Manning School of Business Administration, Acadia University, Wolfville, Nova Scotia. Podcast host Evan Shergold interviews Laura mason Hope of LinkedIn Learning Solutions and sales leader of Toronto Account Executives. Ms. mason Hope has also worked with IBM and Angos Software. Um, so with that, um, through my own research and kind of just using LinkedIn uh, myself the last couple of years, um, I've, uh, as I've gone through different profiles, uh, like you said, skills at the end of the profile and skill endorsements, mm -hmm. uh, in my opinion, seem to be one of the best ways to highlight credibility. Uh, like you're saying, uh, it's other people um, that you've worked with that are actually saying, yes, this is a skill that I have seen firsthand um, that Laura or Evan or whoever it may be has developed or uh, has. But um, I guess... My question is, uh, they're not necessarily the easiest thing to ask somebody for. Uh, it's yeah. a little bit awkward. Um, and I want to know whether you think we should be practicing asking people that we've worked with for endorsements or if we should just wait for them. What do you think? That's a good question. Um, I think we should be proactive, for sure. Um, I think definitely asking somebody for an endorsement that you've actually worked with would yeah. be a credible thing to do. Uh, maybe asking all of your friends that you've not necessarily done projects with, maybe not doing that <laughs> would be my answer. Yeah, I'm pretty aligned. So <laughs> I, I definitely believe in the power of asking for, an, uh, asking for an endorsement or asking for a recommendation likely people just haven't thought about doing that for you. You'll have some people that are proactive about it, but most of mine, if I think back, I have reached out to an amazing partner and client that I had and asked them to in in endorse me and recommend me for that, or from a peer or for, for something that worked for me. Uh, so I would definitely feel empowered if you have a, a strong reason to ask, ask them. And also, it's a good idea to give them some help in terms of saying, here's some ideas of what you might be able to share about how we work together. So if there's particular areas that you guys want to focus on together, maybe help them out a little bit and give them some, some hints. Thank you. So um, with LinkedIn being one of the most popular professional networking companies in the world now, um, connecting talent and employers across the world, uh, how does your company or how is your company working to differentiate itself from other social networking platforms that other people might easily confuse them with, like Facebook perhaps? Mm -hmm. So really what you said at the very beginning of that question is the differentiator, which is professional network. So you might think, and I have an example in the presentation later today using different social networks. Uh, I'm interested in travel. So I gave an example with Facebook. You might say, I like traveling. On Instagram, you might say, here's a photo of me traveling. On Snapchat, you might say, here's a video of me traveling. The differentiator for LinkedIn would be the professional lens to that. So he, I have skills in traveling such as XYZ. Uh, here's my experience working at travel agencies. So it's really all about that professional context. Uh, 
the other thing I think is really around our vision to create economic opportunity for every member of the global workforce. Uh, but again, that goes back to professional. Right. So with that and, and professional um, in the professional context, um, what type of content should students or uh, people uh, in the younger demographic be kind of putting forward in their own profiles? I would think about what is the content that you would want potential employers to view. And as an aside, not just from a LinkedIn perspective, but a, about everything, I'd recommend everyone just Google themselves or search themselves on whatever search engine you use and check out what comes out. Do you have a public or a private Facebook account? Do people find, like, there's a lot, it, employers, 100%, recruiters will do that. So make sure that is your brand. Yes, LinkedIn is your professional brand, but they're going to search you in other in other ways through Google. So make sure that you are putting that best professional brand forward. And if there's things that you have on other networks that you don't want shared, make sure that you have those private or um, just not accessible. And on the LinkedIn side, yeah, I would go back to just saying it really would be what is it that you would want an employer to see and then include that. Awesome. Now, Laura, um, at the beginning of our conversation, you did mention that you uh, are from Halifax originally. Yes. But now you are working in Toronto, which is the biggest city in the country, or at least one of them. Um, what has been your experience moving to such a massive kind of business hub city uh, of that kind? So I moved to Toronto 10 years ago, and we were chatting about the first part of this a little bit pre-interview. But when I moved there, I felt pretty overwhelmed with Toronto. I, Halifax has like 365,000 people, something around there. And so I was used to seeing someone that I knew when I left my house and when I went to the mall or went for a coffee, I would just automatically bump into someone. I loved that sense of community. And when I first moved to Toronto, I didn't have that and I felt kind of isolated. And so it took some time. IBM was incredibly helpful with that, building really like lifelong friendships and, and relationships. So that was a big, a big piece of making Toronto feel like home. And then also having your own little community. So at the time I lived up at Young and Egg and then I had my, my coffee store that I would go to and my grocery store that I would go to. And I'd start starting to recognize people there. After 10 years, now I feel like Toronto I don't feel like it's a big city anymore. I recognize people wherever I go, and it, and it feels like maybe not home, maybe second home. Halifax will always be, you know, heart home. <laughs> but that, that um, I'd say that on, on the personal perspective, on the work perspective, Toronto, to your point, it's a great tech scene. Right now, there's a huge investment in, in the Toronto tech market, which is amazing to see. There's lots of articles that are being written about Toronto being, you know, the Canadian Silicon Valley, which is, which is really inspiring to see. Um, and I've heard there's actually a lot happening in Halifax as well in terms of tech, which is pretty incredible. No, that's awesome. Um, so being in such a massive city and then also being an alumni of Acadia University, um, we are a small school, but I know that we have quite an army of yes. successful alumni. Uh, how has your experience been so far uh, being an Acadia alumni and being in such a massive market like that? Is there still a connection? Do you uh, have a connection with other Acadia uh, graduates? Definitely. So there's actually a couple of people at LinkedIn that also went to Acadia, which is great. 
And some of my best friends I made at Acadia. So um, I see them all the time in Toronto. There's a big, quite a big population of Acadia grads there, which is great to see. When I first moved to Toronto, I definitely would go to like East Coast pubs too. And there'd, there'd always be Acadia um, and other uh, like Maple League University folks that, that would be there. So you kind of gravitate towards the East Coasters. But certainly I, I make it a point to stay in contact with Acadia alumni. Um, Acadia is will always have a very important place uh, in my heart and like love coming back to do things like this as well. And we love to have you back. It's it's Thank honestly you. amazing that you're here with us today. And I think it's comforting for all the listeners, students like uh, like me, that are considering moving to a big city like that. It's nice to know that there's still that Acadia connection uh, and that uh, being at a school like this is going to pay dividends later on. And one of the things that you can do with uh, LinkedIn that I'm going to show this afternoon, but listeners for this could do as well is if you go to the Acadia school page on LinkedIn you can look to see if you're moving to Toronto as an example you can do a a filter to say I want to see Acadia grads that now live in Toronto and then reach out to them and just ask them to grab a coffee or go for a drink or just to to meet with them um one really helpful for informational interviews but two just to build out your network while you're up there and i will i've never said no to a coffee with someone who says hey i see that i just moved to toronto or i'm looking to move to toronto i also went to acadia could we could we uh, meet up would love to just sync up with you and, and chat amazing so laura um Clearly, uh, your successes so far um, have been uh, the product of hard work, determination, but also uh, intelligence. Um, But from a person's perspective that's my age, and we're looking at a massive job market with so many different opportunities, and we're not really exactly sure where we fit into that puzzle, Mm -hmm. what are some tips, tricks, or pieces of advice that you might offer a young person that's considering a career where you are, in, in maybe the sales or the customer relationship management or talent development side of things? Great question. So I would think about one, what are you really passionate about? What are you great at? And then how does that translate into jobs that will make you financially stable, whatever that means to you in, in, in like the finance perspective of whatever it is that you want to um, do. And so I think from a passionate perspective, thinking through like, what are the things that you love to do? Where do you get energy? What lights you up? Um, what, what just tops you up at the end of the day? You're like, I felt amazing when I went to a networking event and I got to meet all these new people. Or was it when you ha- had an opportunity to do lots of research, but like, think about like, what, what are you really passionate about? Where do you get energy? The second, like what comes naturally um, what are you great at? What are you good at? What are the skills that would flow into that? And then on the last piece, what is what do you ultimately want to do? And then what are the skills that you need to do in order to get there? And then you can kind of work backwards to say, well, if I ultimately want to be a sales leader at a startup, then at first I have to be a really awesome salesperson. So that's like a really good place to start. And to be an awesome salesperson, I probably need to do a sales development role first and be great at prospecting. So that might be a really great place for me to start. I see. Uh, so with that, um, 
In, in your career, has there been a kind of a point or a setback or challenge that you've faced that uh, has kind of maybe changed the trajectory of your career or influenced you uh, in a positive way, kind of shifted things or allowed you to pivot? Yeah, I applied for a role that I didn't get and I was pretty heartbroken about it. And what it enabled me to do was to take a step back and really identify, one, I remember my grandma said this and I totally believe it, is everything happens for a reason and tomorrow will take care of itself. I do really believe that sometimes in the moment it's tough to see that, but not getting a role can be a blow, whether it's that you applied for something um, and you didn't get it externally or whether it's an internal process, but taking a moment to realize like, why didn't I get that? Using like a growth mindset to say, it's not that I won't, it's just that I didn't, not yet. So what are the skills that I need to develop in order to be ready to get there? And for me personally, that also enabled me to realize this idea of mastery in current role and then building out your triangle. And so what I mean by that is, is the, some of the most successful people, they ha- you have to be absolutely smashing into the park in your current role before you start thinking of the next one. And, and that's great. But then the, the triangle is really saying you want a base of skills going horizontally across and then you can start moving upwards. So the more that you can start really having a strong foundation, the better it will be as you move in a vertical perspective throughout the organization. Right. And I I gather from what you said that um, putting yourselves in positions, sales development, business development, if you are considering a profession in in that side of things, the sales, uh, that's a good foundation. Definitely. Yep. Okay. Okay, Laura. So um, now I kind of have more of like a big picture question. This is very subjective. It's kind of your opinion on things. But um, I just kind of want to know what, in your opinion, are some of the biggest trends or changes that you've seen in your own industry uh, throughout the course of your career so far? Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, what do you see in terms of the biggest changes or developments that are coming in the future? What I've seen to be some of the biggest trends is related to skill development because of how rapidly technology has changed. So the average shelf life of skills is only five years. An example of that that I've seen is when I started at IBM, cloud computing was really new. It was... A relatively like foreign concept people didn't really understand what does it mean you're putting stuff in the cloud why where's it going how's it stored it was really new flash forward to 2019 and the most in-demand hard skill that employers are looking for is cloud computing followed by AI because of this change in technology and because the influence of AI, 57% of senior leaders say that soft skills are actually more valuable than hard skills. So thinking about like how can you develop in creativity, in uh, people management, in being persuasive, in thinking differently, in problem solving. Um, so I'd say like just because tech has changed so quickly, it's changing the requirements for us to up-level our skills, whether it's in soft skills or hard skills. Right. And I've heard about this kind of uh, difference between what they call soft and hard skills. Um, And it's, it's kind of ironic, in my opinion. We're in a world where we're surrounded by digital everything, everything's technology, but... um, it, it's ironic that we are actually now being called to, for more of these soft skills. 
No, but it's true. So it's like things that, how can you develop skills that robots can't do? It's all right. about being creative. Right, and that draws back to the whole customer relationship uh, and, and your original interest in people, which is kind of why you shifted from psychology to marketing. Um, and yeah, that, that's really interesting. So I just kind of wanted to draw back to um, your experiences at Acadia a little bit and um, ask if you had any mentors maybe, or uh, if you did, what impact those individuals had on your career and your career path? Great question. So I would definitely consider many of my professors as mentors um, that I had at Acadia. Like I said, Tom Patillo changed my perspective of going from thinking about psych and <laughs> musical theater to, <laughs> side note, I was Joseph. I went to Sacred Heart, um, and so it was an all-girls school at the time. So I was Joseph in Joseph and the Mason Color Technicolor right. Dream and Harold Hill, the music man. So right. I, I wouldn't have perceived a career in sales from from uh, my, my high school, but there you go. <laughs> so... Um, definitely that shift to understanding an, an interest in business. I remember forever. Um, Harish Kapoor was incredibly uh, helpful to me as we thought about like marketing, Kent Groves, about like consumer behavior, um, Kelly Dye. So there's been so many people that really the professors here were mentors. And then I would say there's also an element of the friends that I made at Acadia have been ongoing mentors. I think about this concept of having like your personal board of directors whenever you're considering a career move or a change in your life. And so um, a lot of the friends that I've made here, we've, we've grown up together. Um, we're doing different business roles together. And so they're definitely on that personal board of directors that I go to whenever I'm thinking about how would I do a, a career shift um, and have definitely been mentors to me as well. And then my parents have been mentors to me. Um, my dad has been an entrepreneur since he was in university, owns his own company, and has always been um, and, and still is a, a mentor to me. Yeah. That's really nice to hear. And it's nice to know um, that Acadia's institution has had an impact on you and your wildly successful career. Um, with that, it looks like that will be all the time that we have for today's episode, Laura. On behalf of your fellow FC Manning colleagues and Laura Mason-Hode, may I thank you very much for sharing your career path, your experiences, as well as your advice with us today. Uh, with that, we can conclude this episode of the Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Evan Shergold, and thank you all very much for tuning in. Awesome. Thanks, Evan. Should we do that high five now? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> The Exchange podcast is produced by the Fred C. Manning School of Business Administration. This is a volunteer production. If you would like to donate to help support the Exchange podcast, please see podcast under the News and Events tab on the business homepage at business.acadiau.ca. Thank you. Exchange would like to thank Paul Callahan, Jonathan Campbell, Kendra Carmichael, Dwayne Curry, Ian Feltmate, Mike Kennedy, Ryan McNeil, Michael Shepard, and Connor Vibert. Music is Pickup Truck by Silent Partner, assessed copyright free at the YouTube Audio Library. Follow the Exchange podcast on the News and Events tab on the business homepage or at SoundCloud under Exchange. Until next time, I'm Zoe Croak, yours in Acadia Spirit.